Thankful to the Lord to be able to sing together. We are in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been, uh, this is kind of the, the uh, we're, we're wading through these verses over uh, the course of the summer. And there, by no means can we do them justice. I told you last week we could spend an entire sermon series just going through the ten verses that we, we looked at just from a bird's eye view last week. Uh, and this morning we're going to look at, uh, specifically we're going to look at five verses and, um, and so we're, we're still in chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and last week, um, and I'll bring our attention to this in, in, in a few minutes, but last week we really spent some time on our condition apart from the intervening work of uh, God, and that is that we are, according to the Apostle Paul, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and so uh, it takes um, the spirit of the living God, we just read in the book of Ezekiel during our assurance of pardon, to take our hearts that are stone, um, uh, and, and that's the condition of every person apart from the intervening work of the Lord, and the Holy Spirit then graciously gives us a heart of flesh, and because of that, we can repent of sin. Because of that, we can trust in the finished work of Jesus. And this morning, what we're going to look at, uh, I've titled this sermon, From Hostility to Peace, and, and so we're going to look at a couple of things. First, uh, how we are naturally hostile to God apart from the Lord intervening, and then how um, we can be inclined toward being hostile with one another. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read this whole section, verses 11 through 22, but I'm only this morning going to focus on verses 11 through 16, uh, just because I don't think that we can uh, cover well verses 11 through 22. So I'm going to read it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. I'll pray and then we will make some observations uh, together. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again for allowing us to open your word together, Lord. And um, thank you for allowing us not to do that through a screen, but be, uh, we have the ability to, 
to do that um, as your gathered church. And Lord, we thank you for, again, for the preservation of your word, that it's been kept pure in all ages, and that when we read these words in Scripture, we can trust that we're hearing from you because these are your words. So give us wisdom, give us discernment this morning. We pray that you're glorified. And God, we ask that you would again conform us more into the image of Jesus as a result of being here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to make sure just in these few verses, and, and the only time I'm going to spend uh, on, on the entirety of this text, 11 through 22, is, is even just right here. And, and the reason why is I want to make sure that we're noticing, that we're paying attention to the Apostle Paul's commitment um, to teaching us, teaching the church of Ephesus and teaching us that our God is a trinity. Uh, I don't want us to, to miss that. It, it's our Trinitarian God that's broken down this dividing wall of hostility that we're going to spend some time on this morning. And as Christians, uh, the, really the, the, the cornerstone of our confession as Christians is that our God is one and our God is a trinity. Uh, my son, my oldest son, we, we catechize him, and there's two uh, questions in our uh, catechizing of him that we ask. We ask him, who is God? And his response is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then our follow-up question is, are there more gods than one? And his answer is no, there's only one God. And then he starts doing the math like, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three? No, one. Um, but this, this doctrine to us is incomprehensible to a kid. It's incomprehensible to us even as adults. But it's as clear as day in our text this morning that, that we serve a God who is one and who is a trinity. And so to be a Christian is to confess that our God, our one God, is a trinity. All members of the trinity, they're co-equal, they're co-eternal, uh, and co-eternal participants in, in creating and saving and preserving people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. All three members of the Trinity are involved in bringing this peace uh, that we're going to talk about this morning and tearing down this wall of hostility that we're going to talk about this morning. And so to just do an overarching survey of our text this morning, we see in verse 12, we see the language separated from Christ uh, and being without God in the world. In verse 13, we see in Christ Jesus by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, we see Paul say, Christ is our peace. In verse 15, Christ created in himself one new man. In verse 16, Christ reconciled us to God. In verse 17, Christ preached peace. In verse 18, in Christ we have access in one spirit to the Father. In verse 19, household of God. In verse 20, Christ is the cornerstone. In verse 21, holy temple in the Lord. In verse 22, dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so in our, our text this morning, we see that the, the members of the Trinity are all equally active in bringing together a people of peace, a people from every tribe, a people from every tongue, a people from every nation, a people called the church, a people called the bride of Christ, a people called 
the body of Christ. And so if you're taking notes, what I want you to see first and foremost is that Christ is the head of this one body. Christ is the head of this one body. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you've heard that language before. But that's uh, one of the overarching themes, really, of these first five verses, the five verses that we're going to hone in on. Christ is the head of one body. He's the head of one body. The Apostle Paul is reminding the Gentiles, okay, these non-Jewish believers, that the gospel is for them. The gospel's for them. And in doing so, he's also reminding the Jews, because the church of Ephesus was made up of both Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and so he's reminding the Gentiles that the gospel is for them, and then he's also reminding um, the Jewish believers that the gospel isn't just for them. Okay, he was reminding the Gentiles that the gospel is for them, and he's thus reminding the, the Jewish believers that they're not the only ones brought into God's redemptive covenant. They're not the only ones a part of God's redemptive covenant. And you see the word uncircumcision in verse 11, right? You see, and, and I think that that verse kind of sets, sets everything uh, up just right for what the Apostle Paul is communicating um, to this uh, culturally diverse group of believers. Uncircumcision is its slang, um, the uh, Jewish believers, um, people in, in uh, Jewish culture during that time would use that word as slang for um, a people or person outside of God's covenant. To be uncircumcised in Jewish culture was the equivalent of saying that this person is outside of God's covenant. And when you see that language in the New Testament, circumcision and uncircumcision, that, 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 that's what you're reading, right? It's, it's to communicate who's, uh, who, who God's people are and who God's people aren't. Uh, in the Old Testament, circumcision, it was a, a sign and an indicator that you are a recipient of God's covenant of grace. In Romans 2, for us, it sheds more light on, on uh, circumcision being this indicator that you're a recipient of God's grace. Verse 28 and 29 of Romans chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul, he says this, and I kind of put this in my notes last minute so it may not be on the screen, but for no one um, is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So, so Paul here, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. He's telling us that, that Christ is not the head of two separate bodies. Okay, Christ is not the head of two separate bodies, Israel and then Gentiles, Jews, Gentiles. That's, that's absolutely um, foreign to the Scripture. God, Christ, is the head of one body, his body, his bride, the church. Right? The Israelites may have received the gospel first, but it's always been God's plan to redeem a people to himself through the finished work of Jesus from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Right? The Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 2, the passage I just read, 
The Holy Spirit is the one that circumcises the heart. Again, we kind of looked at that in Ezekiel when we did our uh, assurance of pardon part. It's the Holy Spirit that takes a heart of stone, makes it a heart of flesh. It's the Holy Spirit who takes an uncircumcised heart, an unbelieving heart, and circumcises it, makes it a believing heart. And so, in other words, um, the Holy Spirit adopts people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into the family of God. And that's good news, right? Because if that weren't the case, most of us would have no reason to gather this morning. And when Christ returns and, and he defeats the last enemy, because this is, this is good news as well, when he defeats the last enemy, which is death, we will for eternity worship with every people group. We'll worship with every people group. There, there will not be a people group not represented in eternity. Right? The kingdom of God is, is culturally diverse, forgiven, clothed in Christ's righteousness, and a part of his body, the church. Right? The kingdom of God is culturally diverse, forgiven, clothed in Christ's righteousness, and a part of his body, the church. Now, let me spend some time on verses. I'm really, the rest of the time, I'm going to spend time on just the implications, really, of verses 14 and 16, because Christ being the head of one body is a result of, of our Trinitarian God tearing down the wall, the dividing wall of hostility, okay, which is what the Apostle Paul is getting at here. And so tearing down hostility here. Verses 14 to 16, for he, Christ himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abol abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." Again, last week we spent some time discussing the intervening work of the Holy Spirit. Apart from, from God's intervention, we were enemies of God. This means that we were, uh, we were hostile toward God. Uh, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere, Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, he says, "...and you who were once..." And you kind of see this language in Ephesians 2, "...and you who were once alienated..." right? You who were once alienated, and he says, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh, right? The humanity of Christ in his life and in his death and in his bodily and eternal resurrection. He is uh, reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay, in Christ, that's, that's what we are, holy, blameless, and above reproach, okay? So it's, it's Christ alone... Right? Not, not our doing, but it's Christ alone who took us who were hostile in mind and doing evil deeds and content in that state. It's Christ alone who took us from that and, and brought us peace with God. In verse 14 in our text this morning says, For he, Jesus, for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. Right? Only Christ has the power and the authority 
to tear down this dividing wall of hostility and in, in, in our own hostilities that not only that we harbor against God, but our, our hostilities that we harbor toward others. And so Christ has torn, he's torn down this wall of hostility that we harbor toward God if left to ourselves, and he's, he's torn down any reason that we could have for uh, having hostility toward one another as well. Right? There's no excuse in God's church for us to be hostile toward one another. Right? Peace with God leads to peace with people. Right? Peace with God leads to peace with other people. And let me zoom in just a little bit closer this morning, and, and I want to make this more concrete because, again, there's this Jew and Gentile tension that the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this section, and, and we need to feel the weight of that. Right? As God's church, we, we, have to be, uh, we have to ensure that we're a, a repenting people. We're repenting of sins, and one of those sins is called the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. Right? Our culture calls this racism. Okay? Our culture calls this racism, but that word doesn't help people understand what they need to repent of. And I would even argue that the word racism isn't strong enough. Racism doesn't demonstrate that the word racism doesn't demonstrate that we're sinning against a holy God and that we're sinning against a people that are created in the image of God. The verbiage sin of partiality, it, it gives us concrete handles on uh, what our sin is and the way to repent of that sin. Uh, James tells us in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, okay, here's that language, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then get this, verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, James here in this passage, he equates the sin of partiality to murder. And, and this is helpful for us because Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, he says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Right? Anger and hatred, according to Jesus and confirmed by James, right, those are the seeds of murder. Right? Those, that's, that's where murder begins. Right? The sin of partiality is a seed of murder, it's, which is a breaking of the sixth commandment. But, but not only a breaking of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, but according to James, it's a breaking of all of the commandments because to transgress in one part of the law is to transgress the whole law. Right? The sin of partiality, it demonstrates something that's significant. It demonstrates that we have a worship disorder. 
We have a worship disorder. The first four commandments, and, and I may have mentioned this briefly before to you, but, but the, the, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the Reformers in the 16th century really articulated this well. They, they articulated it as the two tables. On table one, the Ten Commandments were the first four commandments, and on table two, the back six commandments um, had to do with our relationship with one another. And so the first four commandments dealt with our relationship to God, and the back six commandments dealt with our relationship um, with one another, with each other. And, um, and if, if we don't have the six command, those back six commandments in order, if we're, we're having a difficult time with those back six commandments, it, it's indicating to us that the first four commandments, that first table, isn't in order. And so, so if, we're, if we're wrestling with the sin of partiality with one another, which is, again, a, the breaking of the sixth commandment, it's demonstrating to us at this first table our worship of the Lord is disordered. And in doing so, helps us to see the way out. It helps us to see how to repent. And so the back six commandments being about our love of neighbor, the first four commandments dealing with our love and worship of God demonstrate that if one of them is out of order, again, the, the, the sin of partiality, if, if we're wrestling with that, it, it, it indicates that our worship of God is out of order. And so the way out, according to Paul, is the peace of Jesus. The way out is the peace of Jesus, and the peace of Jesus is given to people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And listen, here's, here's, here's the thing. It's good for those, those of us who wrestle with the sin of partiality. It's good for us to be here on the Lord's day. How, how else can we repent? The culture doesn't have the answer. The culture doesn't have the answer on this. Spends a lot of time talking about this. A lot of news articles that trend in relation to this, but the culture doesn't have the answer. Right? And the church has no business following the methods of the culture on any topic, including this topic. Right? The culture doesn't know how the, the repentance. The culture doesn't know the way out. The culture doesn't know the peace of Christ. So we have to be a repenting people in this area, and in, in, in a lot of ways we should be leading through our repentance in this area, repenting of those ways that we show partiality to people who don't look like us or talk like us or think like us. And, and we also need to repent of those ways that we show partiality to people whose sin we believe is outside the saving grace of Jesus. It's not just a, a, a culture uh, issue. It can also be, man, these people who've committed these sins aren't welcome here. We talked a little bit last week about the Apostle Paul calling himself the chief of sinners, right? If Paul was the worst of sinners, then certainly the, the blood of Jesus Christ uh, is able to reach even the worst transgressor. And we may not say that we believe people are outside the saving grace, but, but we behave that way, right? Is the, is, is, is the church, is our church a place where the worst of sinners can find forgiveness and reconciliation in Christ Jesus? Again, we may say yes, but we may avoid that person when they come walking toward us at the end of the service, right? Is our church a place where people from different cultures, people with different skin tones, can hear the message of the gospel? Is our church a place where people from different socioeconomic backgrounds can hear the message 
of the gospel? Is our church a place where people from different political backgrounds can hear the message of the gospel? Is our church a place where the racist can find forgiveness? Is our church the place where the murderer can find forgiveness? Is our church a place where the adulterer can find forgiveness? I'll make it even more uncomfortable. Is our church the place where the child molester can find forgiveness or the rapist can find forgiveness? Our, Our triune God has taken us who were hostile in mind and He's brought us into His family. And so how could we be perpetually committing this sin of partiality by hoarding the message of reconciliation to anyone who longs to hear it, no matter their story, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity. The message of the gospel is for all types of people, and everybody needs to hear it. Psalm 103, 6 through 13, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. He acts his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Get this. And read it personally. He does not deal with you according to your sins. He does not deal with me according to my sins. He doesn't repay you according to your iniquity. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is a steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so if this is the heart of our God, then certainly this should be our heart posture toward other people. So that by God's grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they can know this God. Amen? All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray, Lord, um, that God, we would be a people, we would be a local church, Lord that understands that we were hostile toward you, yet you sent Christ to tear down that wall. And Lord, as a result, we have the capacity to not be hostile toward one another, Lord, to not commit the sin of partiality. And Lord, so I ask that you would show us ways that we're prone to that sin and help us to repent. Help us to be a people that that truly desire people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to hear the gospel and help us to be a people that desire all sinners, the worst of sinners, to know, hear, and be changed by the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.